0: You are listening to Cornelia Church, Passion for God, Compassion for People. Morning. We had to play that that one last time, that uh, awesome music. This is our final uh, weekend of the Exodus series, and uh, I just wanted to make sure that we got that good, exciting, melodramatic intro for today. What a beautiful weekend, right? Get ready for the heat, here it comes. Uh, This week I hear it's going to be 106. We live in the valley. We live in the desert, by the way. We live in the desert, so it's appropriate that we've been studying about the desert. If I could get a bank of likes kicked on, we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus uh, today as we have been for the last eight weeks. And uh, we're going to talk today about the tabernacle of Moses, and uh, I... You know, in looking and studying about this particular topic, um, I I wrestled with exactly how we, how deeply we would dive into this morning. Uh, And today, I was just reminded uh, once again during worship, and it's just so appropriate. I mean, the the Lord is so faithful to line up everything in our services. Uh, You know, we don't coordinate everything that happens here. Yeah, and the and the Holy Spirit has a way of speaking through. What Roger said at the open, if you were here, about preparing ourselves uh, for worship, through the worship, uh, the the songs that we sung this morning, all the ministry, the words that came forth, are just in alignment completely with what we're doing today, and I'm not even sure anybody knew what I was preaching about this morning. And so God is just faithful to do that. And I was reminded that uh, today, at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is that we would understand more about Jesus and understand how it is all about Jesus and everything that we study within scripture points to Jesus. Uh, and so I just wanna take a second and, and ask you just to bow your head uh, and, and just pray. And, and I'm just gonna ask the Lord that he would speak to us this morning. Jesus, would you help us to see you today? Would you reveal yourself to us? Lord, Lord we're coming in uh, with all kinds of stuff from the week and from life and all the things that we're dealing with. At the end of the day, Lord, you're the one that transforms us you're the one that makes it possible for us to have life uh, you're the one that is the door to heaven and to the father and so jesus would you be exalted today would you would you help me as i communicate this morning uh, would you help me to speak about you uh, would you take us to the cross today in jesus name amen amen Amen. my name is andrew i'm one of the pastors on staff and uh, it is always my pleasure to talk to you And so if you would open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 25, and if you don't have one, just raise your hand because we have a Bible for you that we'll give you or loan to you Um, uh, for sure, because we're going to be looking at a number of different verses today, And I'm not going to do a a, a two-tiered thing. We're going to look at some scripture. We're going to look at some pictures. I've got some pictures for you today. We're going to talk about this thing called the Tabernacle of Moses. And some of this is going to maybe sound a little bit, uh, I don't want to say academic, but I'm going to give you some information. But the whole reason that I'm going to give you information is because we're going somewhere with it, right? Because unless information gives us ultimately application, then it's, it's just useless information. I'm not interested in useless information. I'm interested in helping you understand more deeply who Jesus is so you can walk with him more closely because that's what it's all, that's what it's all about. Now Exodus the very book right we're looking at the second book in the Bible the very book Exodus means a way out and we've been talking about how a God led the people of Egypt out he showed them a way out of I'm sorry the people of Israel out of Egypt he led them out of Egypt and he led them ultimately to the promised land And today, as the people of God, we today are the people of God. We today are the children of Israel that have been grafted into the vine because of the work of Jesus. He is also leading us out. He's in the business always. Have you noticed? He's always in the business of taking you out of where you're at and into the new thing that he wants to do. He's always saying to us, hey, you know, I've got something better for you. Would you please please stop playing with those things? I've got good stuff for you. If you just release... What you're you're into that you think is so important, you'll discover what I have for you is a million times better. And I'm going to give you, he says, a way out over and over and over again because he's leading us in a process. And we're looking at Exodus not just to look at information and history, but we're looking at Exodus because we know that as we look at the history of the Scripture, we find that the past, it says in, in the book of Romans, was written to teach us so that today we would understand how to walk and how uh, to live. So the book of Exodus, all the way back eight weeks ago, we talked about an outline. We just kind of talked about how this book is is lined up. And the book is really made up of of three parts. At, at, At the beginning of the book, it talks about redemption, The Lord is redeeming his people out of Egypt. He's taking them out and redeeming them and delivering them into a new place. And then he begins to talk to them about this relationship that he wants to have with them. It's called a covenant. Where he refreshes and renews the promise that he made to Father Abraham many uh, generations before, and he renews it now with Moses and with all the people of Israel. And he says, Hey, I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a commitment with you. I'm going to be married to you forever. I'm going to show you what it's like to have a faithful husband that never fails, that's always going to provide, that's going to be with you to the end. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to make sure that you have all that you need. It's all about covenant. And then the last part of the book, the last chapter, starting in chapter 25, is the section on worship where the Lord begins to teach Moses and the children of Israel how he wants to be worshiped, how uh, he actually wants to be at the center of all that they do. And and today that's really what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a pathway to worship because in this last part of the book, what God tells Moses to do is he tells him to build a sanctuary. He tells him to build a tabernacle. Uh, and it, because of this, this thing that he wants to do in terms of relationship, God says, I want to be so close to you, I want you to understand how you can have a relationship with me. So God is interested in having a relationship with us. He's interested in opening the door and, and saying, hey, I want to be with you, but you are also gonna have to want to be with with me. Now in chapter 25, I just want to begin uh, in verse 8. Uh, this is where, where God begins to speak to Moses, and He tells him to build the sanctuary. Verse 8 says, "Then have them make a sanctuary for me." I just want to check. Are, are you there? You have you have it open. You got your notes ready. You got your Bible open. Pretend like you do. Say yes, I do, Pastor Oh, I'm 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 into this. I'm ready. I want to receive. I want to see Jesus today. Okay, okay. All right, verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Now, the Lord actually repeats a couple times to Moses that he is to make sure that he follows the pattern that God gives him, that he's not to do just kind of whatever he wants, He's supposed to be very specific in following the outline, the diagram, the pattern that God gives him to build this house, to build the sanctuary. Now, what Moses uh, is instructed to do is build what we call a tabernacle. It's a portable house of worship. It's portable because, of course, they're they're moving through the wilderness. They're a nomadic people at this point. They don't. uh, They're not yet in the promised land that won't actually happen for another 40 years and even for many 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 years after that they will not have anything other than a portable tabernacle a portable place of worship and the lord says to moses i want you to build this according to a pattern a pattern now it's interesting because when we look at what that means is what the lord is teaching us or teaching moses is that There's a reflection, the tabernacle, this this portable house of worship is a reflection of what is going on in heaven. It's actually a reflection of the very thing that God has been doing from the foundation of the earth. That God from the very beginning, from the moment that he decided to create the universe and create the earth and begin and start time itself and history from the very beginning. He understood and he knew what he was doing. God is not surprised he is not uh, taken by uh, you know any kind of like oh my gosh I didn't understand that COVID was going to happen I didn't understand this thing God is not surprised by anything that happens in the earth and He's actually working his purposes through all of time and so when he tells Moses build a tabernacle according to pattern what he's doing is he's actually preparing the people of Israel and he's preparing a time for you and me to understand that he has been writing history from the very beginning and his history is ultimately going to be fulfilled in the person Of Jesus Christ. So there's a pattern that we see in heaven that Moses is supposed to duplicate on earth, but the pattern is not literally about the things, the pattern is about what the Lord is doing, and Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of this pattern. Okay, we'll talk more about that in a moment, but look there in verse. 10. This is what God tells Moses to build. Now I want to have fun with this for a moment uh, because I want to show you some pictures, and this is this is kind of neat because some of the stuff we have seen on movies and some of it is uh, not necessarily accurate. But the, the Lord tells very specifically to Moses what he's supposed to build, uh, and it's and, and he and it, I mean, it, again, it's incredible detail. So he begins by talking to him about building the ark. So verse 10. Have them make an ark of acacia wood. Who's heard of the Ark of the Covenant? You ever seen the movie Indiana Jones? <laughs> the first one, the good one. Okay. All right. All right. That's that's the Ark that we're talking about. Okay. Uh, over. Now, it's not the actual Ark. Obviously, they made it. It's a Hollywood thing. But overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark uh, the tablets of the covenant law which I will give you." Now notice the level of detail. Right, God is telling Moses very, very specifically what he's to do. He says, you know, take and you're going to build this box essentially out of a specific kind of wood, out of acacia wood, not out of any kind of wood, and you're going to overlay it with gold. And He tells them exactly the dimensions of the box. He says, you know, it's going to be about three feet long, it's going to be about uh, th- 30 inches wide, it's going to be about 30 inches tall, uh, and you're going to overlay it with gold. You're going to make sure that this thing is built in the right way. You're going to put rings at the corners. Do we have a picture? Can you? Uh, do I have that first picture there? Okay, so you, you've all kind of seen this, uh, and and down at the bottom are the poles, and what's missing? You know, you can see the rings, you can't see them maybe very, very clearly in, in that photo, but the idea is that those poles are meant to, they stay there always because this is movable. Because at any point, god can say we're going to move to the next place right and the pillar of cloud by day would move and they would follow him so they would have to break down all of this place of worship and they would take it with them and they would carry the ark on these poles and all be ready ah yes there's indiana jones on the right side there uh and you see how they're supposed to carry it now in this version of the ark right the poles are a little bit higher up on uh on the box but that's about the size of the box uh, you know relative to the size of a human being they're actually carrying it the right way Right, God actually told this. there's only one way you're supposed to carry the ark. You're, the human beings, the priests, are supposed to carry the ark. You're not supposed to put the ark on a cart. You're not supposed to drag it with horses or, 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 or any kind of animals. You're supposed to carry it on a cart. And you see the, how it's gold, and then you see how it has uh, cherubim, or angels at the top, that are facing one another, which is very specific. This is what the Lord says in the, in the next couple of verses. He says, make sure that at the top that you're going to build... Oh, she went there, thank you. Uh, go back to the picture for a second. It's you're gonna build this cover at the top, and you're gonna cover the box with this, with this top, which is actually called the mercy seat. And on the top of the mercy seat, you're gonna put two angels that they're gonna be facing one another, and their wings are gonna be spread out as uh, cherubim, just like that. And, and the Lord says, I'm going to then be there uh, between the angels. That's where the, I'm gonna manifest my presence. And when you meet with me, that's basically where where I'm going to be. And inside the box, he tells them to put the law, the tablets of the law. Now, there's other things later that they begin to put in the box as well. But here in in Exodus 25, he says, this is where you're going to put the law. So those two tablets that represent God's righteousness, his law, are going to be in the box. Now, notice here, we'll come back to this. Inside the box is the law. Right? The law is the way that, you, that, that, that the people of Israel know what's right and what's wrong. Uh, it's the Ten Commandments, but then it also represents so much more than that, all the details of the Ten Commandments, how you live out, uh, how we're going to do this in life, how we're going to do it right, what is God's standards. And it's so interesting, the, the Ten Commandments is so basic. Right? It's so basic, and yet it was so revolutionary because it really got at a, a whole new standard for the ancient Near East that today even, if we would just, if we would just live by the Ten Commandments, boy, our, our society would be so much healthier and stronger, wouldn't it? And so he puts the law inside of that box, and then over the top is what's called the mercy seat. Over top is the mercy seat, and there is where God's presence is. So the law is separated from God's presence by the mercy seat, right? So the law is representative of God's righteous expectations, his holiness. The only way that you can get close to God is to be like him, which is to be holy. Jesus said, be holy for I am holy, right? And so there's all, the only way that you can get close to a perfect God is you could be obedient and be perfect in every way. we got a problem because we're not very perfect, are we? Uh, and and so that law represents his perfection and it represents that if you do not obey the law what is required is that there would be justice that would be given there would be justice that would be given to you and to me and we deserve justice when we commit sin we deserve justice when we break the law right when I, my son came home the other day he had carrying one of those he came home from work one of those little yellow pieces of paper some of you know who that is some of you are holy you don't know what that yellow piece of paper is that yellow piece of paper is a ticket right he broke the law he broke the law and he now has the repercussions for breaking the law right because always when the law is broken there is a penalty to be paid and so the law is there but what covers the law is mercy what covers the law is God's love what covers the law is the only way that the law can be fulfilled according to us because we're always going to fall short, we're always going to deserve judgment, we're always going to deserve God's righteous wrath, but because of his mercy, it covers the law for us. All right, we'll talk more about that as we go on, but it's very, very symbolic the way that all of this is put together. All right, verse 23, he then says, make a table. Now, make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, a cubit and a half high, Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Also make around it a rim of hand handbreadth uh, wide. Put a gold molding on the rim. You know, it tells him to make the table. And then he says, put, verse 30, the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Now, this is just a representation of the table. Now, this representation, uh, it looks like to me, it has a cheap gold uh, paint and not real, if they didn't do the Hollywood thing uh, on this, uh, it would look much shinier with, with real gold. Uh, but, but this is a table, they call it the table of the presence, or table of showbread. And the Lord said uh, to Moses, build this table, on the table you're gonna put 12 loaves of bread. And these 12 loaves represent the 12 tribes, and the bread represents God's constant provision for the people of Israel, that he's going to give them bread, he's going to give them, and of course that's what happened with manna every day in the wilderness, that he provided them bread, everything that they needed, he's going to provide, and so before his presence always is the reminder of the very provision that he's given to us. Thirdly, he tells them to build a lampstand, verse 31. Now the lampstand, it gives them again very much detail. It's, you're going to make it out of gold. This is how many uh, branches the lampstand is going to be. If you ever heard of menorah, right? It's basically a large menorah. This is the very first menorah that God uh, tells Moses to build. Go ahead and go to the picture, and and, and it's basically uh, supposed to be like olive. I'm sorry, like almond branches that are budding out. Again, this is a cheaper, less Hollywoodized version. But you see, relative size of it is a large menorah that is before the, uh, the Lord's presence, and, and at the top are like almond blossoms, uh, and, and then they are lit, there's lamps at the top of every one that stay lit always, it's like an eternal flame before God, so speaking of his illumination, speaking of his spirit, speaking of his presence, it's always available to his, to his people. Okay, now, he tells them, here's some things you're going to build, and then he begins to speak to them about how you're gonna actually make the, the tent itself, that all of the, these, where you're gonna put these things, you're gonna put, put in, them in rooms, you're gonna separate them with curtains, and then you're gonna build a courtyard. Uh, that's in uh, chapter 26, 27, and 28. Aren't you glad I'm not gonna read all those to you right now? But let me show you a, a picture of more or less what this looks like. So skip to that picture. Okay, I told you it was gonna be a little academic, but this is, this is interesting, this is fascinating stuff. That's important for you to understand. So this is a picture of the entire tabernacle. Uh, and and you see how it's surrounded by a, a, a fence, and even the fence, the curtain, was very specifically detailed. How long the fence would be, how wide it would be, how tall it would be, the, f- the material that they would use uh, to actually create the curtains around the fence, uh, where the gate would be, the entrance. And so you see, you know, it, it, it is... Uh, Relative to American football field, it's less than a third of the size. You see, kind of that big box up there represents a football field, American football field, because that's the only thing we can understand is American terms. Uh, And and then, you know, you see the smaller box there is kind of how large, roughly, the tabernacle would be, the court of the tabernacle. Uh, And so you would come in, the priest would come in to the front of the court. Uh, And inside of the courtyard, there would be on either side, uh, they called them slaughter tables, because remember that the Lord is gonna teach them, this is how you're going to come to me. You're gonna to need to have your sins covered, and so you're gonna to have to sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats. And so the priest's job, back in that day, the pastors, they were basically butchers. It was a whole different story. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so you would bring in your animals, you would meet the priest, the priest would receive the animal, uh, they would slaughter the animals on the table, and then right at the center, see there in the front, it says brazen altar. And the brazen altar was a bronze altar where those sacrifices were put on fire and literally burned before the Lord. There's a, there's a way to do it. They burn certain parts. It's very specific. It's very detailed. It's all about how we're going to come to the Lord. We're going to make sure we come to the Lord in the right way. We're going to make sure that we burn the right parts. We're going to make sure that we're covered in blood if we commit sin. There's, so it's very, very specific what the Lord told them. And so there's the brazen altar. And then as the priest is going to go in to worship the Lord inside the, the, the tent of the meeting there in, in the in in the temple, there's what's called the brazen laver. You guys see that little pool of water that's closer to the door. Again, this is another something made out of bronze, and it is a pool of water that the priest is to go and to wash himself in as he goes, prepares to go into the presence of the Lord. And he goes to the that laver, that, that pool of water, and he looks in and it's like a mirror, and he can begin to see, right, if he's dirty, if he needs to wash, he washes his hands, he looks at his face, and he makes sure he's prepared to go in to Uh, The temple. Now, the temple then is where this furniture that we just talked about is going to go. Now, I have a close-up of the temple. This next one. Okay, so here's a close-up of of the temple. It's not a it's not a huge uh, a huge box, right? It's about 30 feet by 15 feet by 15. So it's not a massive place, Uh, and it consists of two rooms, right? There's the front room and uh, and the back room. There's the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. The front room you see kind of has uh, this entrance here where the priest is standing. There's the purple fabric that represents royalty and the Lord told them exactly how to build that, or how how to weave that together and what fabric to use and what thread to use. And you would go through that first curtain into the holy place. And in the holy place you see there, there is the, the menorah, the large, uh, you know candlestick there's the the table of presents with the bread there uh, and then there's a, an altar of incense which we haven't talked about but it's a, it's another uh, a thing that the Lord told him to build uh, which where incense would be offered before the Lord at all times and the priest would come in here and this was the normal place for the priest to worship before the Lord and then one day a year only one day of year on the most holy of days called the day of atonement the priest would be able to go through the second curtain through the veil to, that separated the rest of the temple uh, from where the Ark of the Covenant was. Because remember, that's where the Lord said, I'm, my presence is going to dwell there between the cherubim, over the mercy seat, uh, on, uh, over the Ark. And so one day a year, the the high priest, only one day, and the high priest would prepare for this day all year long as a very specific process, one day a year called the Day of Atonement. The priest would go in and he would be able to basically offer a sacrifice or offer an offering to the Lord to cover the nation of Israel for their sins on that one that one day. And if the priest wasn't prepared, he would die immediately, because you don't enter into the presence of God uh, very lightly. You know, but he goes into the presence of the holy God. And, and if you are unholy, if you didn't prepare yourself correctly, if you didn't spend time making sure that you got the right garments on, if you, if, you, if you sinned, if you're carrying sin in, if you didn't wash yourself right, all of these, there's a very specific process that you gotta go through. So they went in with fear and trembling. Actually, later on, they, they began to tie a rope around the priest's leg, uh, because if the high priest, uh, he didn't make it, then nobody was gonna go in after him. So they would pull him out, Right, because he died before uh, before the Lord's the Lord's presence. So this so so this is this is the tabernacle, right? This is this is the, the thing, the, the way that the Lord began to teach Moses and the people of Israel, this is how I want to be worshipped. Now you might say, Well, that's the thing, you know, and how does it have to do with us. Well, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter nine, and I'll have it on the screen. You can turn there if you want. But uh, Hebrews nine in New Testament and we see exactly what is, going, what is going on here. It says, now the first covenant had regulations for worship. Now, what's the first covenant? Well, we're talking about the first covenant. The first covenant is, is what came in Exodus. It's, it's the, the 10 commandments. It's all the details of the tabernacle. It's all of the promise that God gave to them. It says the first covenant had regulations for worship, all the rules, right? there's a very specific way that you approach the Lord. It's a very specific kind of offering that you're gonna offer. Uh, It's very, very detailed. If you look at uh, the book of Deuteronomy, for example, the book of Leviticus, you see all the details that the Lord very specifically told them, this is how you're going to worship me. I'm not going to be worshipped just in any which way. There's there's all kinds of specific regulations. So the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary, right? The earthly tabernacle. A tabernacle, verse 2, was set up. In its first room which what we just talked about, were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. Now, the second curtain, if you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he died, it was the second curtain in the temple that was ripped from top to bottom. That's, that's what it talks, talk, talk, talks about the curtain being torn from top to bottom. We're talking literally about the second curtain in what was then the temple, an, an actual physical, wasn't a portable anymore, it was now the Solomon's temple or a version of that. And this, this curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, the most holy place from the rest of the temple, was torn in two, symbolizing that Jesus' sacrifice had now opened up the Lord's presence uh, to uh, be available to every single person. Behind the second curtain, verse three, was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. The Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Right, We talked about how the law was in there, also something called Aaron's uh, staff was in there, and, and a jar of manna was in there as well. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Now, as we talked about, the cherubim there are are on the mercy seat, the cover of atonement. Atonement actually means to cover. So when we talk about the the atonement cover, it's actually literally there is that that covering of the box that's covering the law that is where the Lord's presence is. Now, uh, let's just skip down to verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ came, let let me just say this first. Hopefully I haven't lost you. I I think this is interesting, forgive me. I think it's just fascinating. This is a big deal for us if we understand this. I I fear that if we don't understand a little bit more about our faith, that we will only live at a surface level and that we will will only do baby things in life. And God has something more for us to do, but it's going to require us for us to dig in a little bit more so that we can go to a deeper level with him. Because I'm not, I I don't care that you necessarily know all the names of the things, but there's a pattern here that we have to understand. So that's why we learn about the things, so that we can understand how to live our life, uh, and, and also what Jesus has really done for us. So the priest would come in on that holy of holy days, and he would bring some of that blood that had been the blood of sacrifice, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle the blood on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the blood is a covering, right? So atonement means to cover. So the blood of the covering would cover the mercy seat, would cover the the righteous wrath of the requirement of the law, right? Because the people of Israel, as all people have, we break the law. They had broken the law. There's a penalty to be paid for sin. And so the priest would come in and offer the sacrifice which would cover the sin of the people, and God's righteous requirement of basically delivering death to everyone, because no one is holy, would now be covered and supplied by the blood of lambs and goats. And for another year, they would be okay, right? Because God had made a way for them to be okay. Now look at verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabern- tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. So in other words, now we're talking spiritual. Now we're talking about Jesus. And, and, and the author of Hebrews is saying, now there was a physical tabernacle, yes, but it was a representation of preparation for what Jesus was going to do. And when Jesus ca- came, he is the high priest, the high priest of all high priests, The the high priest for one and all times, and he's the only one that was authorized to fully go into the tabernacle, to fully go into the holy place. But he didn't walk into a physical tabernacle, right? His whole tabernacle is the universe itself, and he came and he was able to go into this place. Verse 12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. He didn't need to have to sacrifice bulls and ghosts and, and cover himself with blood to be covered because he was without sin. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean, right? So in other words, this is the process that they had to do in the Old Testament, You sacrifice, you have the burnt offering, there's ashes there, you sprinkle them on the priest, the priest is cleansed outwardly, then it can go into the place of worship. Verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You know, the priest, is, the priest is cleansed for a short period of time. That's the problem with the old system, right? The problem with the old system of sacrifices is the very moment that you offer your sacrifice and you get cleansed, and you're like, I'm right with God. God forbid you turn around, stub your toe, and say a bad word, Right? <laughs> God forbid you turn around and you have a thought in your mind that you shouldn't have a th- shouldn't have right you see somebody and you think oh man i really don't like them very much you know i mean because it's like your salvation your your ability to be free from sin is so tenuous Right? It's just just a moment. You can lose it. Oh, I've got to go back and do some more sacrifice because the blood of goats and bulls uh, only lasts for a very short period of time. But Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice who was without sin. Right? So his blood, the only, the only way that a righteous God could be satisfied in terms of the need of the law to be satisfied is through one who was perfect and blameless, and whose blood was offered for us. And so That's why Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for us. All right, now let me just give you a, a couple of, of points. here. the message of the tabernacle, the message of the tabernacle. First of all is this, Christ is available. Now why do I say that? Well, the Lord gave Moses the tabernacle because he wanted to meet with the people. He wanted to be available to the people. He wanted to be at the center of their lives. And the, the good news is, not just for the children of Israel, the good news is for the, all of mankind, for you and me, is that we can meet with the Lord, that he has made himself available to us. John uh, chapter 7, Jesus comes in when he was here on the earth. He comes in uh, to the temple and they're reading the scroll on one of the, the high days of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was a, was a tradition that they have and they continue to, to, to do it today in Jewish circles uh, where they celebrated the provision of water in the wilderness that happened in Exodus. Exodus. And every day in that feast, and over seven days, they would bring a pitcher of water, uh, and they would pour it out onto to the altar in celebration of God's provision, miraculously, over and over again, in the wilderness of water for the people of Israel. And it just so happened on that day Jesus comes into the temple. On the final day, they call it the, the, the highest, the holiest of the days of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's supposed to read, he, it's his turn to read, out of the scroll of Isaiah, and he takes the scroll and he reads it, and he reads this de- declaration and he says, today anyone who is thirsty can come to me and drink. Today this is fulfilled, he says, in your hearing. Today what we're representing with the water that is given for the provision for the people of Israel. We're remembering back, but he says, no, 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 we're not just remembering. Right now, right here, this is the time I have come and I have water that is living, that is eternal, that will change everything, that will wash you once for all, that will give you a source of supply that will never come to an end. Today is the day, and I'm here, and guess what? If you want it, you can have it. So Christ is available for us, thank God. Secondly, Christ is at the center, or at least he should be at the center of our life. Now, the tabernacle was not just a building that was kind of like over on the side of the neighborhood of the children of Israel, right? The tabernacle, the Lord said, is gonna be right at the center of the camp. It was the center of their life. And so whenever they would move, Right, The whole nation of Israel, two or three million people, whenever they would move, they would move in tribes, and they would decamp right by tribes, and they would march through the wilderness. There was a process for all of that. And, and whenever they would set up camp, the Lord said, set up camp with the tabernacle right at the center, and then he gave them a specific order. I have a picture of this. A specific order of how each of the 12 tribes were to be organized around the tabernacle. Right, and so you have a place for each one. Benjamin up in the corner, you know, and then Simeon, Reuben, Gad—all of all twelve are are arrayed around the tabernacle based on size. And some people have done a study on, on how large each was, one was, and and what that might represent. It's pretty fascinating stuff. But you see that your whole life now is centered and surrounded on the tabernacle, which is the place of worship, which is where the Lord dwells. He dwells with His people. And so when you get up in the morning. You see the tabernacle. You, you see, right, the Lord's presence there represented by the pillar. You see, you know that's the place that, off, you, you smell the offerings that are going up. When you go to bed at night, that's the last thing that you see as you, as you go to bed is you see that the place of worship, the representation that God wants to dwell with his people. Now, that's just a physical representation of how we're to live our life today. Jesus is supposed to be the center of our life, In the morning when we get up, at night when we lay down, supposed to be the first thing that we look at, the last thing we look at. We're supposed to arrange our life around the Lord, around Jesus. Colossians 1 says that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the center of the universe, right? He is the center of our lives. Everything else is supposed to go to the side. He is supposed to be the priority of what we do, and instead what we tend to do is we put him as one more thing, in our life we just say well yeah i mean, i'll make sure that he at least gets a part and then he says no no i want everything all right number three there is a pathway to god's presence there's a pathway to god's presence i don't have this on uh, on the slide do you have there is a pathway to god's presence i think maybe that was a, something wrong with the slide it was the next one say All right, that's not number three. Number three is there is a pathway to God's presence and that is Jesus. Every element that we have just talked about in the tabernacle is fulfilled in Jesus. The courtyard, think of the courtyard on the, on the outermost part that surrounds the temple, that right? surrounds the place of worship. The courtyard has a gate. Jesus said, I am the gate. You're not gonna come in unless you come in through me. But if you come in through me, you're going to find salvation. There is the altar where they would offer up uh, worship, they would offer up the sacrifices. Well, Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the one who was offered on the altar forever to cover our sins. There is the laver, right? That place where you go to look and see if you're clean or you're not clean. He's the one that cleanses us. He's the one that makes it possible for us to even begin to enter into the temple because as we look into his sufficiency and we look in the mirror, right, of the word, the mirror of his life, and we see our inadequacy, we see also the ability that he has to cleanse us and to make it possible for us to go in. We see as we go into the altar, altar, into that place where there's the show bread, right, that bread on the table that is the provision, the daily bread Jesus said, hey pray, I'm going to give you your daily bread, Father give us your daily bread, and he gives us every single day, everything that we need, we see the candlestick over here, that is the illumination of the spirit, right what do we have, we have the Holy Spirit who is the presence of Jesus, who's always with us, who never fails us. the light that never goes out, the divine illumination that is with us, we see the altar of incense, that is the incense that's going up before the fire Jesus offered sacrifice that is a fragrant offering, it says in Ephesians, to the Lord that it fills forever the satisfaction of the Father. And then he goes into the Holy of Holies and there is the ark. And there is the Lord's presence. And there is the mercy seat. And whose blood is on the mercy seat but the blood of Jesus that covers the righteous wrath of God that we all deserve. In Isaiah 53 it says that he was crushed for our iniquities does that mean? He was crushed for iniquities. Well, it means that he received the blow, almost as if the idea is that, that, that the, the, the Lord, Father God, rolled up his sleeves to give the one and final blow that sin deserves. The one and final blow that all of us deserve. Because there is no way for us to ever hope, to even come close to the Father, His perfection, His holiness, without breaking the law. And so there is a a justice that must be served. There is a divine wrath. My goodness, we all understand what it is when things are unjust and broken in this world. We all understand that there needs to be things that are made right when they have been broken and made wrong. There is a penalty to be paid. And Isaiah 53 says, the father crushed him all of the wrath for your sin and my sin all that was due to us the crushing for our sin and brokenness and and wickedness he received on the cross he was crushed that we might receive healing and because of that the veil was torn from the top to the bottom because of that his presence is available to each one of us. So now, see, when, when we go, the reason we can go before the Lord in worship, the reason that we talk about how when you pray, you can go right before God's presence, that's because Jesus' blood is on the mercy seat. That's because you have been covered. See, you, you're going to mess up. You're going to commit sin. You're, you're going to be broken. You're, you're going to have those bad thoughts. You're going to stub your toe and you might even say a bad word. There's all kinds of things that we get involved in. But you don't need another sacrifice. Jesus has already covered you. All of your sins of the past, all your sins today, all your sins in the future, thank God that he has covered us. Thank God that we don't have to go through the rigmarole of trying to clean ourselves and prepare ourselves and put on the right garments and make sure that we go in. And look, it's because he has covered us. Because his mercy has been completely fulfilled. His love is enough. And of course... That should make us all the more want to be holy like he is holy. Want to live righteous like he is righteous. Because he has made a way for us, Paul says, no, don't let it be an excuse to just keep going on sinning. Now now we have, now have, that we have complete covering, let it be a reason for us to keep running and do it well. Would you stand with me? Let me pray for you. Let's just take a moment. Just worship the Lord. <laughs> just close your eyes right there just right now just begin to say thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus oh God thank you Jesus that you've made a way for us that we don't deserve that you've entered into heaven for us you're seated on the throne of mercy and grace that your ultimate sacrifice has covered us thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Lord, we just honor you. We bless you. Just begin just to to tell him how amazing he is. We don't even fully understand, but we understand just a little bit of the work that he's done. Father, you thought of all this from the foundation of the earth. You knew what you were doing from the beginning. Lord, you knew and had a plan. You said that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth, that you had planned from the very beginning to make a way for us. Oh, that heaven has been opened for us because you have chosen to open the door through the blood of jesus through the blood of jesus if you're here today and you you are not in a relationship with christ and i'm not talking about a ritual i'm not talking about us you know that you're you know coming to church every sunday and you're doing all the right things you're a good bible reader i'm talking about you're you're under the covenant relationship with jesus where you have received his blood and his sacrifice is made perfect in you if you need that today it, today it's available. Jesus says, I'm here. You need water? I'll give you water. Just raise your hand and say, Lord, I need to receive today your sacrifice. Lord, for every hand that's raised, we just once again, or for the very first time, we receive with gratefulness your perfection. Would you forgive us? Would you cover us? Would you make us new? Would you make us new? Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Lord, would you give us a greater hunger? Would you give us a greater hunger for your presence? Would you give us a greater hunger for holiness? Would you help us to walk in your way? Holy Spirit, would you remind us day by day that this is not a religion, this is not a set of things that we do to get right with you, but that you have invited us into a relationship. And that you desire us to walk closely with you. Lord, would you help us to dwell with you? For every home and household that's here represented, Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you you tabernacle with us? We are now your tabernacle. We are now hosting your presence. Lord, would you help us to be the kind of priests that carry your presence at all times? Make us, Lord, useful in your hands. Let us, Lord, always be aware of the holy presence of Jesus that's inside of us ready and willing to work, ready and willing to speak, ready and willing to reach out. God, would you change us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Give it up one more time. God is good. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at kchamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click give. Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people.